Father, thank you so much for today. And it's uh, interesting how today is one of those gray days um, outside, and we're talking about the light, so it's very appropriate. And Lord, I thank you that you are the light of the world. You're the light of our lives, and I pray that we would reflect that. Father, guide us today as we look to your word in John, and that you would speak to us. Show us things, Lord, that you want to be true about us as we follow you. We love you, Father, and we give this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Sunday night, most this past Sunday night, most people in the U.S. watched the Super Bowl game. Now, I uh, am probably the only person in the U.S. that didn't watch it because I didn't. Okay, there's some others that didn't. I did not watch the Super Bowl, not because I didn't want to, but because I had to work on a lecture for a certain Bible study that I'm teaching. (laughs) So I had to spend Sunday night uh, studying and working, so I did not watch it. And afterward, at the end of Sunday night, before I went to bed, I decided that um, I just would kind of go online and see who won. And then I was scrolling through my Facebook feed, and I started seeing some comments. And I thought, what happened tonight during the halftime show? And I I just began to, yeah, well, I began to feel that, okay, I'm glad I didn't watch the game, especially the halftime show. And I don't still do not know exactly all that happened. I just know it wasn't exactly, um, it wasn't godly. And so, but what really grabbed my attention Sunday night before I went to bed is that I have a good pastor friend who lives in another state, not here in Tennessee. But a good pastor friend of mine posted on his Facebook page and, and he doesn't usually do anything about this. He doesn't normally post about anything, but he just wrote a short post, and I thought he said it well, um, and it really made me stop and think. He wrote, Dear rest of the world, since many connect the West with Christianity, please know that the perverse halftime show you saw tonight has nothing to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Sad and embarrassing. That's all he said. And I thought, Lord, I have no idea what went on tonight, but I know enough to know that this disturbed believers. And so, and then I heard more about it yesterday. People were talking about it, and it it made me sad. I agree with what Brad said, sad and embarrassing. Um, and the rest of the world don't associate this with Christianity. And so as I thought about this this yesterday, you know, let's face it. We live in a time where the world is dark. There is darkness everywhere. There, and I think Sunday night was a show of how dark our world has gotten. And we're living in dark times. We're living in times when people want to extinguish the light of Jesus Christ. So how do we live in these dark times? How do we live in this darkness? And as I was thinking about this lesson and praying through it, um, 
the, the takeaway that I came away with was just follow the light. And that's the challenge for me from this lesson and, and what I want to present to you. Follow the light. And so I want you to go ahead and turn in your Bibles to John 8. There was a lot in this week's lesson, and when I first wrote the lecture, I was going to do chapter 7 and 8 and 9, and then I ended up, okay, just 7 and 8. Well, now we're just going to spend time basically in chapter 8. But this week, we studied the second I am statement of Jesus in the book of John. The first one was the I am the bread of life that we studied a few weeks ago. In last week, we studied another statement, but it wasn't the second one. It was down the road. It was the fourth statement that we studied last week. But we're backing up now, coming back to the second statement. And I, I want to break this statement down into five sections to help us understand more about the light that we're to follow. And so we're just going to look at the statement, the context. You don't have to write this down because I'll go through it again uh, as we go through it. The context, the feast that was going on, the gospel, and the application. That's how we're going to move through this I am statement this week. And so we're going to start with the statement. In John eight twelve. he says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness but will have the light of life. And then he made the statement, I am the light of the world, again in John 9, 5. So he really makes this I am statement twice, once in chapter 8 with a little bit more to it, and then once in chapter 9. And no matter how dark our world may seem, and it seems pretty dark right now, Jesus Christ is still the light that shines the darkness. And we may wonder, are you still there? Are you still shining? I mean, it doesn't look like it. And I have to admit that I have not enjoyed this winter in Memphis. Um, It seems like we have had a lot of just gray days. Do y'all feel that way or is it just me? And last week, I remember Friday just looking outside and going, I don't even want to go to the grocery store. It's just gray. It's not rainy. It's just, I hate the darkness. And you begin to wonder, God, are we ever going to see the sun again? Is the sun even there? Or is it totally gone? But the sun is there. It came out Saturday. And it was, it was like, oh my gosh, the sun. I don't know what to do with this. The house is bright. And so... He is always there, even in this dark world, and we may not feel like we're seeing him, but he is still there. And one day, he is going to return in all of his glory. But until then, we follow the light until we see him face to face. So that was his statement, I am the light of the world. The second thing I want to look at is the context, because the context is so important, uh, to, to what he is saying in this passage. The setting for this I am statement is in Jerusalem. It's during the Feast of Tabernacles. Another name for that is the Feast of the Booths. And the beginning of John 7, which is why I was originally going to even start teaching in John 7, but time-wise couldn't 
spend a lot of time there, but at the beginning of, of John 7, it tells us that he had been in Galilee. Uh, you know, he had been gone to the Passover, came back to Galilee, and he's in Galilee. But he left Galilee to come to the Feast of Tabernacles in Jerusalem. And when he first came to Jerusalem, he kept a low profile. He did not come publicly. He stayed in secret because he knew that the Jewish leaders were looking for him because they wanted to, to kill him. And they were like, where is he? Has anybody seen him? Not because they were curious and wanted to hear him, but because they wanted to arrest him. But God protected him because it wasn't his time to go to the cross yet. People were divided about Jesus. Some were saying, he's a good man. And others were saying, no, 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 he's leading people astray. So there was division going on. And in John seven fourteen, if you have your Bible, just flip back to John seven fourteen. It says that it was now in the, when it was now in the midst of the feast, Jesus went up to the temple and he began to teach. And the Jews then were astonished, saying, How has this man become learned, having never been educated? And Jesus responded in verse 16, My teaching isn't mine, but his who sent me. He was saying God sent him, and his teaching was from God himself. And he's basically saying, I am God. And that stirred up controversy, and the Pharisees uh, sent officers to go seize him and bring him to him. And they went, but it says nobody touched him. Nobody laid a hand on him because the Father was protecting him. Again, it wasn't his time to go to the cross yet. And then in John seven thirty one, it says, Many of the crowd believed in him. Yay, this is great. God is working through Jesus' teaching. But again, the Pharisees were not happy about that. And the officers that went to seize him, they were really amazed by his teaching. And that upset the Pharisees even more. And they're like, you all aren't falling for this, are you? You're not believing what this guy is telling you. Well, that's the context for this I am statement in chapter 8, where he's been teaching during the Feast of Tabernacles. He's teaching. There's controversy being stirred up. And that is the context. Now, we come to a place in your Bibles where, in most Bibles, the, the next passage is in brackets. It starts at the, the last verse of chapter 7, verse 35. And I don't know if yours is in brackets. I have the New American Standard. It's in brackets. ESV, I think, is in brackets. NIV. From chapter 7 to 53, it says that they went home. And then you have the story of the adulterous woman through verse 8, I mean, uh, 11 of verse 8. However, it's in brackets because almost all textual scholars agree that these verses were not part of the original manuscript of the Gospel of John. Uh, The earliest and most reliable manuscripts do not have these verses in the book of John. And so they believe that this was just oral tradition that was passed down over the years and that finally a copyist later, somewhere down the road, a copyist thought, you know what, I'm going to put this in the book of John. And so he just inserted it there. 
Most of the scholars believe it, it happened. It's true oral tradition. It just probably didn't happen here. That's why it's in brackets, because it wasn't in the earlier manuscripts. So we're going to not spend time on the adulterous woman because I agree with those. If it it wasn't in the original manuscripts, that's probably not where it belonged. And there's reasons for believing that, too. One, it kind of breaks the story up. Um, You know, he's teaching, then they're outside, and then he's back teaching. Uh, And there's other reasons that that make sense of why it doesn't belong there. So we're going to skip the adulterous woman and just assume it wasn't, it didn't happen at that time. So then the story continues from chapter 7, verse um, 52, where he's teaching and they're all upset. Nicodemus is defending him. We're going to start, we're going to pick up the story in John 8, verse 12, which is our I am statement. Jesus is still teaching in the temple, and he makes that statement, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, to fully grasp the impact of these words, we have to understand what went on at the Feast of Tabernacles and the meaning behind it. And so that's the the third area I really want to focus on is the actual Feast of the Tabernacles. And again, there's not a lot of detail in the New Testament about what went on. Uh, We get some details in the Old Testament, but oral tradition has passed down over the years, and many scholars believe that these oral traditions are true. And and they still practice this today. But the Feast of Tabernacles took place in Jerusalem every year, once a year, and it was usually late September or early October, according to our calendar. The feast lasted for seven days. And some would say it was an eight-day festival because on the day after the, all the festivities took place, Uh, The eighth day would be a day for prayer and reflection as they thought about the previous seven days. And so some would say it was seven days plus one, and some would say seven days. So you'll see as we go along where that may play a a role. But this was a happy, festive time when Jews would come from all over Israel, and they'd come to Jerusalem to give thanks to God for the harvest of that year. The harvest was over. They were coming to give thanks, and devout Jews would build these small huts or booths, which is why one of the names is the Festival of Booths. They would build these small huts, very simple, and they would be all over Jerusalem and on the hills and scattered throughout, and they would live in these huts for seven days. It was a way of commemorating the living conditions of their forefathers in the wilderness as they traveled in these temporary uh, living uh, houses, little camps, and, and to commemorate how God provided for them during those 40 days. And during the Feast of Tabernacles, there were two ceremonies that took place every day. And one had to do with water. Uh, There would be a solemn procession in the morning going down from the temple mount downhill to the pool of Siloam, and the priests would get a pitcher of water, and they'd all go back up, and there'd be singing and 
and celebrating and trumpets blowing, and they would pour the water on the, the bronze altar. That was the water ceremony, and that had to do with just remembering God giving them water from the rock in the wilderness. But then the second ceremony was with light. And during the feast, they would light four huge lamps in the temple courtyard. It's said that these lamps were 75 feet high. I was trying to picture how high, and that's the, the number that most of the commentaries gave for how high they were. They were so large, and they burned so brightly, that it was said that all of Jerusalem was lit up by these lamps, that they could see from all around because of these lamps. The people in their huts, they could, they could see what was outside. And you've got to remember, this was before electricity. They did not have electricity during those days. They might have had little candles in their, their huts, but there were there no street lights. It was just dark outside. And then here are these four huge lamps giving light to all of Jerusalem. It was dark, but those lamps were used to give light at night for those seven days. So what was the purpose of this ceremony? What would prompt them to reflect in three ways. First, it would prompt them to look at the past. These lamps in the temple at night giving off light would remind Israel of the pillar of fire and the cloud, but the pillar of fire that led them at night in their wilderness journey. So they would give thanks to God for their, just his guidance with the light. But it also prompted them to look to the present and to the lamps would remind them that he gives them light to make their crops grow for the harvest, the sunlight. So they would give thanks for his light that gave them these crops that they're thanking him for. And then they would look to the future. The light from these lamps would remind them of God's promise to send a light to release Israel from bondage and restore their joy. Isaiah talked about it in Isaiah 49.6, a promise of the Messiah who would come, the servant of the Lord who would be a light to the nations. And so they took this time to look forward and say, we cannot wait till the light, the true light comes. And at the end of the feast, and this either happened on the seventh day uh, the last night when they extinguished the lights or perhaps on the eighth night, which I kind of, I don't know, I don't know which is correct, but perhaps the eighth night when they didn't light the lamps. And you've been used to seeing all this light and all of a sudden now you're in darkness. That's when Jesus stood up and made that statement. I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. Can you imagine? What a picture of the light. 
And this verse, eight, John eight twelve, is the gospel in a nugget. And that's the next section I want to just look at, the gospel. There's four components to the gospel in this verse. If you ever need to share the gospel and you don't have the four spiritual laws or you just need a little guide, turn to John eight twelve. We start with the problem. Jesus kind of lays out a problem in this verse. Darkness. We were born into the darkness of sin. He talks about, you know, if you follow me, you're not going to walk in the darkness. That's the problem. We were born into the darkness of sin, and the world is in darkness, which is a symbol of evil and sin. And we're going to stay in darkness until somebody comes to save us, to deliver us. That's the problem. The solution is the second component of the gospel. Jesus said in this verse, I am the light of the world. He came as the solution to the problem. He came to give us light. He would rescue us from darkness by dying on the cross to pay for our sins. And light in the Bible is a symbol of God and his holiness. Jesus came as a solution. He came to be the light in a dark world. The third component is the decision. Okay, we can know that we live in a dark world, and we can know that Jesus came to be the light, but there's got to be a decision. We have to choose if we're going to follow him or not, because he says in that verse, he who follows me. That's the decision. Are you going to follow me? Are you not going to follow me? We have to choose if we're going to put our faith in Jesus as our Savior. Will we believe him and obey him, or will we turn our backs? And then the promise is the fourth component. He says, he who follows me will have the light of life. You won't walk in the darkness you'll have the light of life. If we choose to follow him, if we choose to put our faith in him as our Savior, and this is talk the salvation, we will no longer walk in darkness, but we'll have the light of life, Jesus in us, and eternal life. That's the promise. This was a powerful statement because of the setting from which he spoke those words, where those lamps were shining and then they, they were not. And he says, I'm the light. You're waiting for the Messiah? I'm, I'm him. The light of the lamps was a shadow of Jesus, the Messiah, the true light. It was just a shadow pointing to what was to the true light. And so he was saying, if you want the light, I am here. I am here. Follow me. Follow the light. And we begin following the light at the point of salvation. But we have to continue to follow the light every day as we obey and walk through sanctification. 
Well, we don't have time to look at John 9, which is the other statement, but Jesus repeated that statement again in John 9 after or, or right before he healed a blind man. He made that statement, I am the light of the world. And chapter 9 is really a case study of that statement. He, he said in chapter 8, I am the light of the world. And then he demonstrated in chapter 9 the light of the world at work when he gave that man sight. And the man followed the light. And he went around, he told others about Jesus. You study that, we just don't have time to really go into it. So the last thing I want to talk about is just the application. This is a lot of information. I told, uh, was telling Bethany and Sharon, I feel like I'm teaching a seminary class today. Instead of preaching like Cole said Sunday, he was preaching and not teaching a seminary class. Well, I feel like today I've kind of done the opposite. But uh, it always comes down to application. Um, so what? We've learned about the festival. We've learned about uh, things, but what are we going to do with it? And so there's just two questions that I want you to consider. And this isn't anything new or profound, just things I want you to think about. One is, are you following the light? Or are you letting the world distract you from the light? How do we keep following the light? What do we need to do to keep following the light? And I would say, stay in his word. It is a lamp to our feet. That's why I love seeing you all at Bible study every week, because you're staying in the Word. That's the first way we keep following Him. But also stay in community with other believers, godly women who are going to hold you accountable. And when they see you straying away, they're like, whoa, whoa, wait, I don't think you should be doing that. And they're going to spur you on in your faith. And then stay on your knees in prayer and build that communion with him. And stay dependent on the Holy Spirit to empower you. Because when you're on your knees in prayer, the Holy Spirit's going to guide you. John talks about that. He's going to guide you. He's going to direct you. He's going to convict you. You stay on your knees and you stay dependent on the Holy Spirit, asking him to empower you to follow and keep following the light? That's the first question. Are you following the light? Are you doing the things necessary to keep you following the light? The second question, are you letting the light of Jesus shine through you in a dark world? Are you shining in the light? Or... Are you hiding the light because you're afraid of what somebody might think if they know that you're, you've got Christ in you? What does your light say? Several years ago, I was coming home, home one night from a meeting uh, down in Germantown, and there had been some, on the way going to the meeting, actually, that before that, there had been some thunderstorms in Memphis, and I've learned in Memphis, when you have thunderstorms, you just uh, there's always power outages. And so going down Germantown Parkway, the red lights were out. 
And I thought, well, that's not good. And, but I made it to the house, and we had our meeting. And then I'm driving up Germantown Parkway, and the traffic lights are back on. And I'm thinking, good, everything's good. And then I turned, on to my, uh, turned off of Germantown to go to my neighborhood, and the lights were on. But then as I got to the street that turned to my, before my street, it was pitch black, dark. And I thought, oh, that's not good. There wasn't a house on, a light on in any house. There weren't any street lights. It was just black. And I pulled into my driveway and I pushed the garage door opener just out of habit. And then it hit me that, oh, yeah, garage doors don't open when there's no electricity. So I thought, okay, how am I going to get into my house and... I was trying to work out the plan, and I thought, okay, I'm going to go around to the front door, which is a good ways from the the garage door. I'm going to go around, and then I thought, okay, now there's a lot of little turns I have to take because I had an alarm on, and I had like 30 seconds to get back to my alarm by the garage, but I had to come in, and then I had to go this way, and then I had to turn this way, and I thought, okay, I I don't have a flashlight with me, and so I'm going to have to just kind of map out in my mind how to get there as quick as I can before the alarm goes off. So I go to the door, and I open the door, and I, you know, you hear the beep, 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 and I, I'm shutting the door, and I'm running, and I'm thinking, okay, I think it's time for me to turn, and I did, and I went face forward into the wall, and um, I, I saw lights at that point. I really, <laughs> literally saw lights. And I thought, oh, I think I broke my nose. I thought, the alarm, the alarm. And so I'm feeling my way to the rest of the way, and I finally get to the alarm, and I turn it off, and it's lit up because it's on a battery. And so I, I got the alarm turned off, and I, I have a flashlight, and I know where the flashlight is when things like this happen. And so I went in, I got it, and I sat down, and then I thought, you fool. You had a light all the time. You know what that light was? My phone, my iPhone. All I had to do was pull my phone out and turn on the flashlight. And I thought, Lord, there's a spiritual lesson in this. (laughs) With a broken nose and... I had the light all the time. But I forgot about it. I didn't use it. Let's don't do that with the light of the world. Let's let him shine. Let's let him, let's just don't forget that we have got him with us all the time. I cannot wait to see his light in its fullness. And the end of the book of Revelation describes the new heaven and earth and the new Jerusalem. I'm just going to read these. You don't need to turn there, but I'm going to close with these verses out of Revelation. In Revelation 21:23, John gave this description of the new heaven, the new earth, the new Jerusalem. The city has no need of the sun or of the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God has illumined it, and its lamp is the Lamb. And then Revelation 22:5, and there will no longer be any night. And they will not have need of the light of a lamp, nor the light of the sun, because the Lord God will illumine them. 
and they will reign forever and ever. I cannot wait to be in the light, and there's no darkness. But until then, let's follow the light that he's given us. Let's, let's pray. Father, I thank you that you are the light and that you're always with us. But Lord, I pray that we would follow you, follow your light, but that we'd also shine as lights. That we'd make a difference. That we would, would be that light to a dark world that's just going a different direction. Father, show us how you want us to really take this lesson and live it out in our lives. And we pray this. Uh, We want to thank you for this meal that we're about to have. I pray for just a sweet time of fellowship. And Lord, thank you for coming to this earth and being the light of the world for us. In Jesus' name, amen.